Hello, everyone. It's the last day of the seventh month, July 31st, and this is the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast. We have been on this journey for 211 days, and we are advancing towards our goal and are now on day 212. By now, a daily intake of God's Word is part of your spiritual regimen. So welcome to episode 212. My name is David McAdam, and I'm happy to serve as your tour guide, encouraging you to read with me and assisting you in putting each passage in the context of the overarching story of God's redeeming work. We are in the book of Second Chronicles and will visit the reign of King Hezekiah once again, this time from, as it were, the other side of the river, where the kings of Judah are examined in the light of the Davidic covenant. God had promised that one of David's descendants would be fit to reign upon the throne forever with a rule of righteousness. But who would fulfill this description? All the kings of Judah, like all humankind, fall short of the glorious ideal. It is not until the arrival of Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of David, the Son of God, the Word made flesh, that we see the messianic promise fulfilled. For Jesus is altogether the righteous Lord, the promised King of the Jews. He fits the bill. We have been tracing the record of the final descendants of David to sit on the throne as King of the Jews and see how they fall short of the expected ideal. But that ideal anticipates and is made real in the person of Jesus Christ. Second Chronicles chapter 29 will be the chapter that we read today as our Old Testament portion. And in the New Testament, we will be reading from the book of Romans. 2 Chronicles chapter 29. Hezekiah began to reign when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites, and assembled them in the square on the east, and said to them, Hear me, Levites! Now consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry out the filth from the holy place. For our fathers have been unfaithful and have done what is evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. They also shut the doors of the vestibule and put out the lamps and have not burnt incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. Therefore the wrath of the Lord came on Judah and Jerusalem, and he has made them an object of horror, of astonishment, and of hissing, as you see with your own eyes. For behold, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, in order that his fierce anger may turn away from us. My sons, do not now be negligent, for the Lord has chosen you to stand in His presence, to minister to Him, and to be His ministers and make offerings to Him. Then the Levites arose, Mahath the son of Amasai, and Joel the son of Azariah, of the sons of the Kohathites, and of the sons of Merari, Kish the son of Abdi, and Azariah the son of Jehalel, and of the Gershonites, Joah the son of Zimah, and Eden the son of Joah, and of the sons of Elizaphan, Shimri and Jeuel, and of the sons of Asaph, Zechariah, and Mataniah, and of the sons of Heman, Jehuel, and Shimei, and of the sons of Jeduthun, 
Shemaiah, and Uzziel. They gathered their brothers and consecrated themselves, and went in as the king had commanded, by the words of the Lord, to cleanse the house of the Lord. The priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it, and they brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord, and the Levites took it and carried it out to the brook Kedron. They began to consecrate on the first day of the first month, and on the eighth day of the month they came to the vestibule of the Lord. Then for eight days they consecrated the house of the Lord, and on the sixteenth day of the first month they finished. Then they went in to Hezekiah the king and said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, and the table for the showbread and all its utensils, all the utensils that King Ahaz discarded in his reign when he was faithless, we have made ready and consecrated, and behold, they are before the altar of the Lord. Then Hezekiah the king rose early and gathered the officials of the city and went up to the house of the Lord. And they brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, and seven male goats for a sin offering for the kingdom and for the sanctuary and for Judah. And he commanded the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. So they slaughtered the bulls, and the priests received the blood and threw it against the altar. And they slaughtered the rams, and their blood was thrown against the altar. And they slaughtered the lambs, and their blood was thrown against the altar. Then the goats for the sin offering were brought to the king and the assembly, and they laid their hands on them. And the priests slaughtered them and made a sin offering with their blood on the altar to make atonement for all Israel. For the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering should be made for all Israel. And he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, harps, and lyres, according to the commandment of David and of Gad, the king's seer, and of Nathan the prophet, for the commandment was from the Lord through his prophets. The Levites stood with the instruments of David, and the priests with the trumpets. Then Hezekiah commanded that the burnt offering be offered on the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song to the Lord began also, and the trumpets, accompanied by the instruments of David king of Israel. The whole assembly worshipped, and the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. When the offering was finished, the king and all who were present with him bowed themselves and worshipped. And Hezekiah the king and the officials commanded the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. And they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed down and worshipped. Then Hezekiah said, You have now consecrated yourselves to the Lord. Come near, bring sacrifices and thanks offerings to the house of the Lord. And the assembly brought sacrifices and thank offerings, and all who were of a willing heart brought burnt offerings. The number of the burnt offerings that the assembly brought was seventy bulls, one hundred rams, and two hundred lambs. All these were for a burnt offering to the Lord. And the consecrated offerings were six hundred bulls and three thousand sheep. But the priests were too few, and could not flay all the burnt offerings, so until other priests had consecrated themselves, their brothers, the Levites, helped them until the work was finished, for the Levites were more upright in heart than the priests in consecrating themselves. Besides the great number of burnt offerings, there was the fat of the peace offerings, and there were the drink offerings for the burnt offerings. Thus the service of the house of the Lord was restored, and Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced, because God had provided for the people 
for the thing came about suddenly. And this concludes our reading from today's Old Testament portion from Second Chronicles chapter 29. Now let's step back and review. You will remember that we read about King Hezekiah's reign in the book of Second Kings. His life was summarized in glowing terms despite his failures in Second Kings chapter 20 verses 12 through 18. In 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 5-7, through 7, we read, He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. For he clung to the Lord, he did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. King Hezekiah is considered a hero among the kings of Israel. More is written about him than any other king except David and Solomon. Yet the book of Chronicles anticipates a greater hero, the future king of kings, Jesus Christ. The reference point for the anticipated Messiah, the son of David, is perfect devotion, a heart after God, and perfect obedience, that is, doing all of God's will. In the New Testament book of Acts, chapter 13, verses 22 and 23, we read, After he, that is God, had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom also he testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. From the descendants of this man, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. Hezekiah exemplifies a man who has a heart after God, though not perfect. Only a brief reference is given to his sin of pride in the book of Chronicles. In 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse 25, the chronicler starts by commending Hezekiah with reference to this prophetic Davidic standard of seeking to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. He did right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 2. Hezekiah's first deed is that he opened the doors of the house of the Lord that his wicked father Ahaz had closed. This was what Jesus does. He is the open door. We have a record of Hezekiah's speech to the priests and the Levites. He exercises spiritual leadership, calling his people to action. He defined the present reality, admitted their past failures, and then he challenged them to move forward in a clear direction. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel, that his burning anger may turn away from us. My sons, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to minister to him, and to be his ministers and burn incense. Second Chronicles chapter 29, verses 10-11 through 11. The Lord Jesus has satisfied the terms of God's covenant on our behalf and turned the wrath of God away from us. There is no condemnation to those who are in this temple, that is, in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Hezekiah purified the temple, casting everything unclean outside the camp into the Kidron Valley. This is what Jesus did when he was crucified for sin outside the camp of Jerusalem. In 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 17, the purification is noted as taking place in multiples of eight. The eighth day is the first day of the week, the day after the Sabbath, the day of resurrection. The number eight stands for the new creation, the new week, the new beginning. This is what Jesus came to initiate. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, and Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5, the Levites made this report to King Hezekiah. Moreover, 
all the utensils which King Ahaz had discarded during his reign in his unfaithfulness, we have prepared and consecrated, and behold, they are before the altar of the Lord. Second Chronicles chapter 29, verse 19. The next morning, King Hezekiah freshly consecrated the temple with offerings, seven of each type. The number seven meaning complete, sufficient, perfect, anticipating the perfect once-and-for-all sacrifice made by Jesus Christ. Chapter 29, verses 20 through 24. He organized tributes of worship. The worship is also described in Davidic terms. The musicians were stationed in the temple in the way prescribed by David and with the musical instruments of David. He then stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with harps, and with lyres according to the command of David and of Gad the king's seer and of Nathan the prophet, for the command was from the Lord through his prophets. The Levites stood with the musical instruments of David and the priests with the trumpets. He led worship by example. Now at the completion of the burnt offerings, the king and all who were present with him bowed down and worshipped. Second Chronicles chapter 29, verse 29. At the end of the day, the people knew that God was once again working in their midst and were thankful for what he had done. All those who were willing brought burnt offerings of devotion to the Lord. In Second Chronicles 29, verse 31. Thus the service of the house of the Lord was established again. Then Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced over what God had prepared for the people because the thing came about suddenly. Second Chronicles chapter 29, verses 35b and 36. David had the desire to see God worshipped in spirit and in truth among all nations. His desire, specifically to build a house for the Lord on earth, is referred to as the tabernacle of David. In the New Testament, we see how the church is the fulfillment of the tabernacle of David. It is built by David's son, Jesus Christ, in Acts chapter 15, verses 14 through 18 and is God's dwelling place on earth. In Christ, Jews and Gentiles have equal access to God through the merits of His perfect sacrifice. In Christ, perfect worship and service to God is established. Jesus said, But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. Here's the lesson. This passage reminds us that it is never too late for a new beginning. It also reminds us that change can take place quickly. This should encourage us to pray for new beginnings. May people be restored to the true worship of God through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hezekiah had a wicked father, and he grew up in a time of spiritual darkness when the doors to the temple were shut. But when he came to the throne at the age of 25, he launched a spiritual reformation. It started with a deep work of repentance where the people admitted their neglect, disobedience, and idolatry. They knew that God's chastisement upon them was just. Hezekiah defined the present reality and then guided the people back to spiritual alertness. He restored the place of worship and the true order of worship. The temple had been so defiled that it took 16 days to cleanse the accumulation of filth from what was to be a holy place. First, they gave themselves to the Lord. The people followed their example. Let us do the same and worship the Lord wholeheartedly. Now let's move on to our next stop on our Bible tour to the New Testament and Paul's letter to the church at Rome, chapter 14. 
we will be reading verses 1 through 23. Do not pass judgment on one another. Chapter 14, verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know, and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And this concludes our reading from the New Testament portion, Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 14. In this practical section, in which we are exhorted to live out the gospel, Paul mentions both our personal duty to God and our attitude towards others. We are to worship God and do His will as fully as possible according to our conscience. That is our duty. But our attitude towards others, especially in disputable matters, is to let them do the same. God's will is not that everyone conforms to our particular standard of sanctification. Christ is the standard of righteousness, and it is only the working of His life in us that can bring about God-pleasing sanctification, true conformity to the image of Christ. The Lord is the master of each person's sanctification. 
So we should be careful how we evaluate the progress of others, particularly because the person you may be critiquing for not living up to your standard may actually be excelling you in many areas of sanctification that you don't know about. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Romans chapter 14, verse 4. Paul then gives the example of some of these areas of doubtful disputations where believers may have different ideas as to what is the particular course of obedience that would be most pleasing to the Lord. Sacred days, regarding one day over another as being more sacred, Sundays, Saturdays, holidays, etc., in chapter 14, verse 5, Paul concludes that each one should be fully convinced in his own mind and live as unto the Lord rather than someone else's standard. Sacred diets, some will advocate that they are taking the most God-pleasing route of eating. For conscience' sake, they will not eat meat from a market where they might be selling meat that had come from beasts that were sacrificed in some place other than the holy temple or a kosher market. Then standards of child-rearing, dating, standards of business, church liturgies, interpretations on spiritual gifts or end-times events. Sometimes we think more of our interpretations than what the scriptures actually say. Paul encourages us to remember that we live and die as those who must give an answer to God for our personal duty, but we must also answer to God for our attitudes towards our brothers and sisters, particularly those who hold different positions in the areas of doubtful disputations. This, of course, does not mean that we do not make efforts to correct those who are clearly teaching false doctrine or behaving in ways that are clearly violating God's revealed will communicated in His Word. Let us keep the big picture in view. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, verse 17. We have a relational principle here. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Romans 14, verse 19. It is important that we are true to those convictions that God has given us from careful study of His Word, while also remembering that God has been patient with us as these convictions have grown in us. Therefore, be patient and gracious with others. Now we move on to our reading from the book of Psalms, Psalm 24, verses 1 through 10. The King of Glory, a Psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord, and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. We go from the shepherd's psalm, Psalm 23, to the psalm of the exalted king, Psalm 24. Who is the king of glory? By grace we can say we know who he is. What is his domain? All that is. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. In verse 1, the favor of this eternal king must be mediated through the one who is holy, that is, the Holy One. 
in chapter 24, verses 3 through 5. The result of seeking Him will be blessing from the Lord, in verse 5. Lift up your heads, O you gates, let the worthy King and Redeemer in. Now we move on to the book of Proverbs, chapter 20, verse 12. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. God has given us eyes and ears. Let us be careful what we look at and who we listen to. He has also given us spiritual faculties. Let us hear what He speaks and see what He is doing. Let us exercise our God-given faculties of discernment. Now let's pray together. Lord God, Maker and Owner of heaven and earth, the earth is Yours and everything and everyone in it. Yet there are so many who do not know You and are lost to any real relationship with You. Sin has separated, and Your holiness demands that separation. We thank You for sending Jesus, the Holy One, to ascend the hill of Calvary on our behalf, to shed His blood as our perfect atoning substitute and make a holy place for us to come before You. You have opened the doors for us that no man can shut. We pray that people everywhere will hear you calling them to seek you and come through the open door you provided through the cross of your Son and find peace. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Well, that wraps up our travel through the Bible today, and we look forward to being with you tomorrow, continuing in the book of Second Chronicles and the book of Romans, and moving on in the book of Psalms and Proverbs. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can write us at podcast at newlife.org. Also, if you'd like to receive a free written copy of our daily commentary, you can subscribe at our website, newlife.org. So until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ flood you with an awareness of what God has accomplished in Christ Jesus, providing a peace that passes understanding, a joy unspeakable and full of glory. Shalom.